So things like that, I, I completely just ignore because it's not important. I mean, that's a very dangerous and immature way of operating, but you know, I make no apologies for it because actually I work with people who are really good at what they do and they're, they're good at the things I'm not good at and they like the things I'm, I don't like doing. Power to Live More with Joe Dodds. Welcome to the Power to Live More podcast, all about productivity, organisation, well-being, energy and resilience. I'm Jo Dodds and I started this show to enable interesting people to share their stories about how they use their power to live more and by that I mean to do the stuff that they want to do more than the stuff that they need to or should do. It's about creating a life for yourself where you have the energy, health and space to be happy and fulfilled, spending your time as you'd like, whether that be at work, home or somewhere else entirely. That's your choice. Hello, my name is Ellie Dodds and I'm co-presenter and today, Joe's interviewing Dr. Russell Thackeray. Russell was introduced to us by one of his team. Dr. Russell works with leaders and their organisations to achieve enhanced performance and results. By aligning culture, leadership and people, he can spark design and embed change that creates organisational resilience. The result is a reduction of personal drama and an increase in mental and emotional personal resilience, Improvement and accountability of process, relationships, finance and systems is achieved, as is a reduction in burnout for both the organisation and the individual. Dr Thackeray has an interesting and colourful background and can draw on his experiences in the arts, working as a professional musician in London's West End, and as an entrepreneur, consultant, CEO, NED, operations manager and investor. This breadth of experience of business and life is utilised in the strategies and skills he delivers to improve performance and deliver change. Back to the studio. Today I'm interviewing Dr Russell Thackeray of QED Organisational Development. Welcome Russell, thanks for joining me. It's a pleasure Joe. delighted to be part of the programme. Lovely, so start by telling us who you are, what you do and crucially where you do it. Yes, okay, fine. Well, uh, who I am is Dr. Russell Thackeray. I've been, I'm a psychologist and coach and such like. And um, I've worked in this world for many, many years. Um, I have a professional background uh, as a psychologist, but also I've worked in commerce. So I've been a CEO, a sales and marketing director, and I've worked in a corporate setting for many, many years. And um, I've had offices and all that sort of stuff, but now I'm working from a home-based office. So it's... Um, like many of us going through this um, peculiar time, I think we're all becoming as flexible as we possibly can to adapt our working environment. And, you know, most, a lot of my business has moved online, but the corporate world, of course, some aspects of it are, are pretty um, focused at being online, but a lot of it isn't. So some of the um, one-to-one personal therapy stuff I do is um, online, but a lot of people do like to be seen in, in face-to-face. So mm-hmm. we have a therapy center on the South Coast and... Um, Sometimes I'm forced to actually go down there and start cleaning all the chairs and such like and <laughs> set myself down and prepare to be sociable. How about that? Goodness me. <laughs> Wearing trousers. What's, what weather next? <laughs> so were you doing online sort of consultations and, and that sort of thing before the lockdown or, or is, is that sort of part of how it's all transitioned for you? 
Um, I've worked online for um, both corporately and one to one as part of the part of the work I've done. I've done it for many many years, so mm-hmm. there's no problem to switch right to being fully online. And I was quite. I mean, I had I had a, this is this is this it dates me somewhat. I've had a Zoom professional license for two and a half years. Right. And, um, you know, managing my own podcast as well as, you know, using Zoom and uh, originally Skype. It's, it's been, you know, one of those things. Uh, I'm an early proponent, proponent of Zoom bottom, which is this idea that we spend too much time sitting and watching or talking to people on Zooms. And it's really good for you to get out and about and move around. And, uh, and then, of course, lockdown happened. And then we're all yeah. victims of Zoom bottom. We've all got it all together. So there you yeah. go. Although when I'm not recording my podcast, I'm at my standing desk. It's just that the sound's better from my armchair. So I, in my defense, I yeah. don't always sit on it. <laughs> so well, mine's very much spreading at the moment. So they get what can I say? Yeah, that's another downside of, of lockdown. Um, so talk, talk us through a bit of, of how you got into doing what you did. I quite often talk to my um, guests about the fact that they they're now doing something that they probably didn't imagine they were going to do when they were going through the sort of education system uh, but given you're a, a doctor and given you're a psychologist and, and all that sort of thing I may I think that may not be the answer you give maybe you did plan to do this but tell us about how it all started for you well I, I sort of um, like to say I'm in my fourth I may even be my fifth career at the moment because I actually started my life as a professional musician so when I was at um, in university, I was actually at the Royal College of Music and was going to be a famous viola player uh, in this classical music world and, and did a lot of that for a long period of time. And I worked in um, freelance, as a freelance session musician. I worked at the Royal Liverpool Phil, the BBC Scottish Symphony Orchestra, the RPO, BBC Symphony Orchestra, BBC Radio Orchestra. Travelled all over the world with pop groups and worked in two or three West End shows, including the... Um, the affectionately named the Glums, um, for over a year. And um, I spent, that was my career. That's what I wanted to be. And it, it actually was one of those things where, as, as a musician, you, you get in touch with your, what we call our sensitive side. And I was sort of quite a large bloke from the northeast of England. It was okay for me to be sensitive because I was a musician. But I discovered actually this was um, part of my, something that I call empathy now. But it was, in those days it used to be called um, sensitivity. And um, I got utterly bored, bored, senseless being a musician. In fact, um, the two most common states are being bored stiff or scared stiff. And um, whilst, the, whilst the physiological and neurochemical um, effects of being a musician are extraordinary, and anyone who has a child should think about getting into a musical instrument, speaking a foreign language, a language or learning to dance, Absolutely. those three things are so good for you. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually got to that stage where I thought, well, I, I want to get out of this world. And I'd started doing the business side of music. And um, I used to work for a guy called Rowan Atkinson on anything musical he did, including some of his films and Mr. Bean and, you know, some yeah. of the other stuff he did. And um, I got into the, the business side of work as well. So I sort of transitioned from, um, you know, moving people around venues to play musical instruments to moving secretaries around um, assignments as I worked in the recruitment industry. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I... Oh, that sounds a weird leap, but it was a leap. And um, and then I, you know, I just got fascinated with people and behaviour change. I ended up in a um, working in sales and marketing, and this idea of getting people to change their mind and change their behaviours and do things that you wanted. I got interested in um, marketing and became a sales and marketing manager and director. I obviously became a psychologist at that point because I was thinking about um, psychology from the point of view of consumerist behaviour. 
and um, I then went, you know, took the corporate shelling, became a CEO of a large law firm, and um, and, and did that thing where I was enjoying a, this sort of life, and actually joined a management consultancy as a sales and marketing director. And uh, my job was just to go in and scare up work and do stuff. And I got really interested in the sort of delivery side of consultancy and um, I moved from there into a large training company, one of the a very large training company, which we sold or which I sold about three or four years ago now. And uh, started QED, which was my own sort of, um, how can I put it? Um, I think you call it a vanity business, don't they? Where you basically start off by saying, I'm just going to do three or four things I'm really interested in. But then clients used to ring me up and say, what would you do? Do this and would you do that and used to do this could you do it again and um and i've ended up you know growing a small team but just doing what i really enjoy and so broadly i do a lot of work around um leadership and executive leadership and executive coaching which i think most of us do and uh, i do a, a lot of work around uh, evaluation and particularly around resilience and burnout and that's become sort of my thing over the last two or three years mm. i'm midway into writing two books at the moment which sounds grand until you realize that most people who try and write books, two books, usually end up writing no books. Mm-hmm. So I'm sort of uh, in the middle of that uh, trial at the moment. And, um, and that's how I've got to where I am. So I'm yeah. one of those coaches that has a background where I've actually done the job I'm often coaching for because a lot of people I find, um, oh, and certainly on the training side of things, you know, when I sit down and talk to managers about leadership and coaching and mentoring and they say to me, well, I'm managing 40 people. I, I can say, well, I used to manage 40 people as well. I, you know, in an organization of six or 700 or two or 3,000. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, the ability to empathize and, and to um, emote with people is really important because mm-hmm. I think increasingly, I think we're seeing a lot of coaches and consultants coming into the business or into the world, which, you know, who they have a very different perspective and they seem to think it's okay to, um, in part, they advise the guidance at the ripe old age of 22, 23. And uh, there's nothing the matter with that. But, um, you know, it's a different sort of, it's a different way of working, I'd say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. So I wasn't expecting that at all then, um, uh, having um, uh, expected you to <laughs> tell me it was all about your psychology education or whatever. So uh, that's very cool. Do you still play your music? No, no, no. I stopped playing uh, any form of music many years ago and, and oh. I've got pretty crippling arthritis, actually. So oh. it's pretty, pretty, it was pretty prescient that I stopped. Although the arthritis might be to do with, um, I have two gifts. I always say from the world of music, I have uh, terrible arthritis and tinnitus. Right. And yeah. um, yeah. But both of those things would have actually ended my career. So it's a pretty yeah. good reason, yeah. pretty good reason, a pretty good thing I stopped, really. Yeah. Well, you were talking about the sort of importance of, um, singing speaking a foreign language and dancing um and you talk about being uh you know well-being and resilience and and all that sort of thing so did you take up one of the other two things as an alternative <laughs> well well you know when you know when you, you go on training courses and people say you know tell us two truths and one lie yeah, yeah. and um i i just used to say my one of my one of my points was i was a member of the royal ballet company and everyone yeah. laughs at me and says haha that'll never work but I actually was. Yeah. But of course, I, I was in the orchestra. So it's a slight cop-out. Yeah. Um, my dancing prowess is, li- li- is um, limited to just watching Strictly Come Dancing and RuPaul's <laughs> Drag Race. And I'm an expert in both those areas. But the, yeah. And I, I sort of say to myself, well, I've over, overcompensated on the musical side of things, so I can, I can skip the dancing if that's all right. Yeah, yeah. And I do speak Spanish because uh, I have a place in Spain. So, uh, oh, there you go. <laughs> I mean, Spanish is pretty horrible, uh, pretty gruesome, and it's very limited, but it's, uh, it's, been, quite, it's been good fun learning. <laughs> Brilliant. So... Let's talk a bit about 
sort of how things are at the moment then um i was i was just on a, a call with um the team at Engage Success, which is all about uh, employee engagement. It's the national movement around employee engagement. And we were talking about how we feel like some of the uh, disruption that we've been through in the last few months, it's almost like people are, or half the people are jumping up and down saying we should go back to where it was, let's all go back to the office. And um, everyone else is saying, well, hang on, it's worked really well not being in an office and we've got flexibility and everything else. Let's not, you know, just go back to how it was sort of thing but it's a really complex scenario you know aside from all the medical issues and the you know conspiracy theories the truth the falsities everything else it's to to change the way that we operate in business and then um make it work you know ever is difficult isn't it and we've we've done it in a really Mm. weird situation um what, what are your thoughts on on how people have sort of coped with it from a resilience point of view and, and what you think might happen moving forward? Uh, that's a really great question. Um, I could say, I could spend about 10 hours on that question, so mm. I'll just limit myself and I just it's cut a across question. me when you get bored. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I'm a great believer that change is not difficult. And I think it's one of the biggest myths of our lives. And actually we've proven it over the last three or four months that change isn't difficult. Because actually, the, you know, so it's one of those things in human um, conditioning that we are prone to believe what we tell ourselves. And um, I think it's one of the big psychological myths of our time in leadership training and, and a vested interest of many consultants to, to tell people how difficult things are. And mm-hmm. I would say that the, uh, many people have had to change and spin on a sixpence over the last six months. It may not be comfortable. It may not have been preferable, but it's certainly something that we've, a lot of us have done. Women, not, not everyone's been successful at it, but that's, mm. that's just, you know, failure is a natural part of, of life and, and moving forward. And that's how you reinvent yourself and that's how you move forward again. So I would say that um, it may not be comfortable, but it's been hugely cathartic and, and completely predictable. The fact that we were due to have a recession, because actually if you look at the way that the world works, we'd been on a very long benign run environmentally and uh, fiscally economically and fiscally i should say and and it was inevitable we were going to have a recession i mean the fact that it was driven by a pandemic is you know it's just uh, it's that that happens to be its cause this time around mm-hmm. and i think we spend far too much time um worrying about things rather than dealing with them and coping and adapting sometimes now in terms of working environments one of the things that we spotted pretty early does was this you are going to have um, a driver for people to not work from home anymore because actually organizations will suddenly see the opportunity to save a lot of cash by uh, rethinking office space and such like. And I think often the the challenge here has been that you need to, you need to have people working from home or an office based on their temperament, not based on the cash demand nor on their opinion, because Mm. those two things are not necessarily objective. And so what we developed is actually a pretty robust indicator of your ability or your temperament to work from home or from an office and also this thing about well saying sometimes you need to blend a working environment sometimes actually what you want to do is have people coming in but why don't you work with temperament and give them the things they need from the office environment so actually you can have them in for a, a smaller amount of time and maximize the productivity they have when they're in either place yeah um you know, I think it's a, it's a fascinating thing. I'm, I'm someone that enjoys noise, but I'm an introvert. So my, my preferable way to work is to go to a Starbucks or a, 
a noisy environment, put headphones on and sort of leech energy out of people who are leaping around the place and just use it for myself when I'm sitting there. And, you know, our temperament indicator was able to sort of spot those sorts of people, which, was, which are quite hard to, which are quite hard to spot. So yeah. coming back to your question, you know, the point is it's going to be changing in the, in, in the moment. It's going to be with us for a long, long time. Um, we just have to get on with it. We're going to fail. We're going to pick ourselves up and we're going to reinvent ourselves on a constant basis as we have done for the last 30 or 40 years uh, or, you know, in terms of modern business. And in the next 30, 40 years, things are going to change so much anyway because the pace of change is speeding up. COVID has been a fantastic opportunity for people to be able to really flex their mus- muscles, their, their cognitive um, uh, muscles and also their ability to really start to spin and adapt and to become a little bit more ingenious about the way, the way they work alone yeah. and with other people. Yes, yeah, absolutely. It's interesting. I sort of reflect that, you know, I don't know, 30 years ago when I was doing my HR um, qualifications, I was sort of learning about, I don't know, Taylorism and, you know, all the sort of yeah. um, industrial revolution and how that led into, you know, the care and the personnel and, and all the sort of, you know, how it all went. And I just sort of keep thinking to myself, Cohen, in years to come, there's going to be like a whole, there'll be an essay question <laughs> all around flexible working you know in a pandemic or or you know uh, yes. from friday to monday what changes did you have to make <laughs> or whatever yes. well i mean one of the best papers in hr would be remember hr yes yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah exactly so um yeah so as you say it's interesting and you mentioned somewhere along the line something about you know the stories that we tell ourselves and it's you know, undoubtedly, there's been you know some awful situations that have happened during these these last few months. But you know, a lot of people that I speak to have had so many positive things come come out of it, and and they do seem to be the sort of more resilient ones, I suppose. Um, is there is there a sort of uh, you know a mood of person who's who's able to be more resilient in these situations, or are you saying that sort of fundamentally we're all pretty good at it uh, to a greater or lesser extent? Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I mean, fundamentally, we've all got resilience built into us. Otherwise, mm-hmm. we, would, we wouldn't really make it very far in life. And I think the human race is astonishingly resilient. I mean, yeah. you know, we're, we're so resilient, we're destroying the least resilient thing around us, which is the world we live in, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think, you know, one of the things we have to do is to think about the mindset that's necessary for resilience and the mindset necessarily you know, the mindset that's necessary to learn for resilience is a mindset where you are in control of yourself rather than being a victim of your thoughts and feelings. Mm -hmm. And I meet lots of people who will be telling me the reason everybody else has done something and how it's the blaming everybody else and they're not accountable for anything and, you know, that every news is all bad. And then you sort of point out to them that every single thing they've just talked to you about is something that's controllable with their own head. And they can... And it's that thing about, is the news good or bad today? Well, it's up to you. How you choose to view it is your decision. And therefore, if you choose to see the world as a negative place, it's negative. And Mm. those people, guess what? Got called pessimists and they have poorer life outcomes. And and people say to me, but, you know, that's such a a trivial way to think about it. And I'm saying, I'm sorry, because simplicity sometimes is trivial because it's simple. But doing it is the tricky bit (laughs) because it's all very well knowing it but you know you it takes time and practice to do this thing these Mm -hmm. things Mm -hmm. and you know whenever we're talking to people about high anxiety or sensitivity or depression which are things which you know can drill drill, knock down your your resilience 
you go back to things like, well, this is a multi-layered thing. It's, it, I was chatting to someone um, literally yesterday who was talking about their anxiety. And um, it'd been someone I'd been doing hypnotherapy with. And, um, and we just got onto the subject of diet for no reason other than I'd mentioned it and said, you know, let's, let's track the time on it when you feel the most anxious in the day. Because he's very visceral and he's very quite a kinesthetic sort of person, so he could really, you know, emote around that sort of subject. And he said it's really, it's really odd because we've been keeping a bit of a log of it. It's always about four to five o'clock in the afternoon. I know it doesn't take a genius to say, well, what time did you have your lunch and what time did you have your evening meal? Yeah. And it's four o'clock is the time when his energy dips. Yeah. And and is it a surprise to think we are less resilient when we are not looking after ourselves and not eat and not eating? Yeah. Is it a surprise to say, well, we're less resilient because we're having poor sleep because we're not looking after our physiology. Mm. And too often, you know, especially in this ghastly sort of mental health culture we've got ourselves into, we forget the physiological side of things. We forget actually we're, we're a living organism. We need to look after ourselves and we need to actually do the self-care thing. Mm. You know, if you don't put the right things into your body, you don't generate generate the right quantities of serotonin and therefore your mood suffers. I mean, yeah. it is, it is binary. And, it's, and that, I'm sorry if that's simple, but it's, but it's, it's staggeringly true as well. Absolutely. And, and for me, really disappointing to have not seen very much in the sort of public domain around that stuff and, and looking after ourselves in terms of, um, you know, our immune systems and everything else. It, it, it doesn't, it, you know, as usual, I mean, I don't know why I'm surprised because there isn't a lot in the sort of national PR, if you like, around eating well and sleeping well and, and self-care and all those other things. I don't know why I'm surprised, but it, it feels like that needed to be so pushed. And, you know, people like us have been doing that through this time, but it just feels like, you know, nationally, it's not, it's not a theme. Well, that's, that's a, you know, it's a really enlightened comment. And I think the thing we have to remember about the way we work is that <clears throat> we are fed foods that make us ill. That means we have to take medicines to make us better. And those medicines make us worse in the first place. Yeah. And, and now I'm not going to get all, you know, um, uh, sort of new agey on you. Know, that's not yeah. my thing at all. If you knew me, you'd know I'm not that sort of person at all. Yeah. But, you know, you have to look at the fact that the tobacco industry, the alcohol industry, the foods industry have peddled things which are very, very bad for us for many period, you know, for a long time. Mm. And actually this, this idea that, you know, actually, you know, eating well is a new idea. It's just madness. But, you know, we, we've, we've been infected by this idea that we should just eat things which are terrible for us. I mean, it's only recently that we've discovered that fat's good for us. I mean, you know, yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the enlightened amongst us have been knowing it's been good for 30 years, but of course the say. propaganda has been not to have it. I think the British Dietitian Society or something would still tell you if it was, it was bad for you, which <laughs> is, well, uh, which traumatises me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But it's interesting as I mean, well, the people... whole... Sorry, carry on. Go on, no, carry on. I was going to say the whole sort of social media thing as well, as you say that, you know, when you said about the stories we tell ourselves and what we read and, and the news that we, we listen to and so on, it's, um, you know... In fact, I was talking. Um, I have a student who sort of teaches mindset stuff, if you like, and he's been doing some work around marketing his business and that sort of stuff. And he had a, a week where he had to really just stop and get himself centered again because he'd got involved too much yeah. in what was going on through social media and and seeing what people were saying and and the sort of attitudes and everything else. And even though he specialises in this himself, 
he'd allowed it in do you know what I mean so that it affected him yeah. so what you were saying about that bit about if you only hear negative things and believe them you know guess what you're a negative <laughs> um is, is but, so let's, true. but let's not be surprised but Joe, let's not be surprised about this. So let's look at the media. The media's job is to trade on our inherent negativity bias. So what they need to tell us, they need to, they need to make us greedy and they need to make us fearful. Yes. And that's what they do. And they spend their entire time, you know, with an agenda. Um, and I used to work in the media. I, I've worked in two media organizations. And, the, and people think the, the job of the media company is to tell the truth. No, it isn't. <laughs> it's to get people to read or to watch so they can sell more advertising space. And all media companies have a, have a position. Okay, that's fine. Here's the thing with social media, though. Whatever we're watching that's making us unwell is creating dopamine for us. So we are, we are motivated, if we're not careful, if we have the wrong mindset, to actually make ourselves less well. Become, we become addicted to the bad news or the news mm. that we decided is bad. Mm. And this is the problem. So we are our own worst enemies. Now, uh, right at the beginning of the lockdown, I remember um, going online and doing some work about how to survive the lockdown right at the beginning. The first thing I said was, watch the, the first 10 minutes of the daily briefing and watch no other news and then get yourself off social media because actually yeah. that's it. They, they are both environments which are now calculated to stimulate a, a, a cycle of um, dependency and fear. Yeah. Because that's how it works. I mean, you just have to watch Sky News in the morning. It's hilarious watching a news story be invented through the course of the day. And then you can see the presenters by the end of the time looking genuinely frightened themselves because they've literally frightened themselves. It's mm -hmm. quite, quite astonishing. And the media, if you talk to most people who have depression or anxiety or any of those things, it's the first thing it comes out. Media, official media and social media second. Yeah, and yeah. it is and it's much more important it's easier for me because i'm of a generation that didn't have i didn't grow up with social media um it's trickier for youngsters who are you know um sort of um it's 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 sort of you know the, the phone's clasped i was going to say clasp their ear but that's old-fashioned it's um you know this part <laughs> yeah. of part of their being isn't it it's sort of they seem to be uh, the grafted onto their hands yeah. but it's like it's like i say to a lot of people who are much younger you know my son my daughter won't put their phone down hey, you're the parent. It's mm -hmm. time to do that thing you were grossly unfit to do, which is to learn to be a good parent and yeah. to take the mental health of the needs of your children and, you know, sometimes uh, older children in hand and protect them. Because, you know, it is a sort of zero fulfill some of the social media that we see going down. Now, don't get me wrong. Here, I'm a great fan of wombats. And there's nothing I like getting on, better than getting on my Facebook page to look at the latest wombat video. And that's great, isn't it? But the trouble is you're never far away from that advert that says, hey, have you heard about this latest problem? And, of course, yeah. our negative, negativity bias is just tempted to, to click on that. Yes, so yeah. So we need to watch ourselves. We need to build a self-discipline in that. Um, this is not somebody else's fault. You know, these are our willing choices that we make as, one as, as well as we understand our sort of neurochemistry and the way that we're, mm. we're, sort, of, we're sort of built to be susceptible to these things. If yeah. we weren't, then they wouldn't be so successful, would they? No, we sort of need a sort of healthy disrespect of such things, don't we? So that we can pick and choose <laughs> the bits that we want yeah. to listen to, the bits that we don't. I, I was saying to my daughter the other day, she's, she's 14, I was saying that um, it was the thing where they'd said, they'd said before you could do this and now they're saying you can't do this. And the newspapers like jumped straight on it as a U-turn. And it's like, yeah. well, you know, when you're being flexible and, and the, the, you know, levels of... Um, 
illness are going up sort of thing then it would be sensible to say don't do that now that that to me isn't a u-turn that's just being flexible to the moment <laughs> and and yet the newspaper yeah. you know turned it into a, a, a right old oh they can't make their mind up and it's like well i'd rather they change their mind if it's the wrong decision <laughs> so yeah. um it's the, the the media like financial services markets aren't they and um, people that make money out of financial services like share dealing such like they don't care if it's up or down sorry they don't care if it's high or low what matters is it goes up and down and that's what yeah. the media like they just like With something story, happening yeah. Yeah. and if nothing official is happening then they're very very happy to uh, create it for themselves <laughs> there's nothing better than just for fun talking you know if you're in the mood to deal with it it's just putting on one of the sort of talk radio or lbc or um, one of those sort of news talk talk radio things and just sit back and enjoy the complete and utter waffle and <laughs> make believe that goes on it's just utter utter tripe I and mean, it's great yeah my best it's a guilty pleasure was, yeah my best example of that was throughout the lockdown and particularly at the beginning well not the beginning maybe sort of two or three weeks in my husband listens to um was it Five Live? Do they do lots of sport? Is that them? I can't yeah. Whichever radio yeah, station is. Used to. Ever leaving Alexa on in the kitchen, playing this, and yeah. it's just talk. Yeah, it's talk sport, isn't it? That is what it is, because they're talking about yeah. sport. And of course, after about a week or two, there was no sport to talk about. So, and they'd exhausted all yeah. their sort of historical um, discussion. And then they were having to create conversation out of nothing when there was no yeah. sport going on. <laughs> yeah, that didn't stop them. <laughs> No, he didn't. And some of the stuff that they said, and you're right, I, I, you know, just in passing, I'd sort of go in and exasperated and change it again, but uh, and put, put a classic FM on instead. But uh, yes, highly entertaining. Um, so let's, let's yeah. sort of switch and, up. And the, same, and the same men don't talk and chatter, you see. This is the myth, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. So let's switch a bit and talk a bit about how you uh, work with your clients and how you sort of get done what, what you need to get done. I mean, you've already said that, you know, you work online a lot, but also you have to um, sometimes go into a, a real room. Um, what, what do your days look like, and how do you get thing, make sure you get things done? Uh, you mean at the moment or normally? Yeah, yeah. Well, both. It'd be nice to see a contrast if there is one. <laughs> well, okay. So, so my normal world would be working corporately mostly. So that could be um, a combination of either training. I do a lot of training, and that could be in this country or abroad. Uh, they could be uh, short sessions through to, you know, one or two week long programs, depending on what it is. And then a lot of coaching. So I spend a lot of my time coaching and therefore they'd be um, face-to-face sessions or online sessions that would either be reinforcing a program or working with like an executive and an executive coaching capacity with boards or senior execs. And, um, and so a day would be, you know, in that world would be those things. Now, a day in the sort and this a day in the non-corporate world will be a series of appointments to meet people to, you know, work out what it is that they need as a course of treatment, and then either to deploy a hypnotherapy, music approach, counselling, CBT, MDR. Um, I use a virtual therapy technique as well, which is really super groovy because you know there's nothing a man likes better than a little bit of random technology is there let's be honest and um well this man anyway not every man all men and um i work a lot with the trans community as well and um i'm a trustee of a trans charity so some of my days will be spent uh fundraising and doing things for them and to and help people and support them so the good thing about that if you think well one of the reasons why i got you know left the music business i was bored stiff and scared stiff i'm very rarely scared stiff anymore but i have a you know i don't like the bored stiff thing so genuinely my days are very rarely 
the same. Um, I'm not the most hyper-organized person. I'm writing a book, as I said. And so I will put some time aside to do that. I may spend some time on LinkedIn and doing some social media. But I like to, every single day, be doing something that involves actually contact with people and doing the thing you, doing thing you love, really, which is working with other people and helping them. Or, help, more importantly, helping them help themselves. Mm. So I know that's a bit of a cop-out question, but it's, it's sort of true. I do work in the States as well, so it can get a bit relentless because you do get that thing sometimes where, you know, people want to start chatting to you. Can I talk to you at five o'clock? Yeah. Sure, when it's five o'clock Pacific time. Oh my God, that's half one or something. It's, it's like, you know, I genuinely need my beauty sleep. So, yeah. um, you know, sometimes you have to sort of work that thing. And again, I do a little bit of work in Singapore so you can get yourself caught out. Now, and I... Uh, I'm not a cobbler's child, so I don't do that thing where I say, well, do you know what? I'm not going to look after myself and I'm going to work 27 hours a day because I'm not interested yeah. in that sort of macho stuff anymore. So it's very much, I design my day around two things, what I like doing, what I'm very good at, and I make sure I spend as much time as that as possible. And then I also spend a lot of time developing myself. So I've just signed up for three different new development sessions. I'm a bit of a lifelong learner, so uh, I'm just you know doing some new stuff as well at the moment. So I'll be yeah. dedicating some time to that. Lovely. That's what we like to hear. So you concentrate on doing the things that you want to do and that you're good at and you are developing yourself. What about all this other stuff? <laughs> How do you get rid of it? <laughs> Which other stuff? The stuff that you don't want to do or you're not good at um, oh, or right. isn't about developing yourself. They're, 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 some of those things, presumably, you just don't do. <laughs> but uh, how, how do you well, get some of the stuff that yeah. you have to do that you don't want to do or you're not good at doing done? Well, I do have a team. So um, I have people who work with me and um, they're very good. And I have uh, both people who are um, sort of full-time workers, but also use a lot of associates and affiliates mm -hmm. to do that sort of work. So I've got a person that's a marketeer, um, one for each business, and, um, and they look after that bit. I mean, I love doing marketing, but I'm really quite poor at it. And I had to work out quite early on to stop fiddling and stop messing about because my marketing expertise is quite old now. So, so... The second thing I always think works really brilliantly is having a really, really long list and then just finding a, a great deadline. And then once that deadline arrives, if you can work really fast, sometimes that helps. Yeah. And then, you know, it's really funny how much stuff's really unimportant and the stuff yeah. that you're not good at, you can just do without. I mean, you know, once a year, I have a massive rant and yell and scream and shout at people. And that's usually the time that's involved putting my tax return together. And I have a feckless accountant who I like to shout at. And, uh, but he does my books and that all comes together. And he'll put right the sins of me not doing um, book work for the cross the whole of the year. I mean, I pay him the VAT returns, obviously. But you don't give him all that's the, the sort of carry thing. a bag, do you? <laughs> oh, no, I don't even have the carrier bag. I don't waste money on a carrier bag. I just like to throw things at them and then blame them when I, ha when I didn't supply them with the right stuff. I mean, I am a nightmare to work with, and I do know that. So things like that, I, I completely just ignore because it's not important. I mean, that's a very dangerous and immature way of operating, but, you know, I make no apologies for it because, actually, I work with people who are really good at what they do, and they're, they're good at the things I'm not good at, and they like the things I'm, I don't like doing. So one of my colleagues, Paula, is brilliant at detail. You know, we've just um, been doing some new piece of work, and she's just said, well, do you realize the sentences in it? And it's like, blimey, I've looked at that piece of paper four million times. I haven't seen that sentence because she's... She's just good at that and likes doing it, and I'm not. So for me, you, you surround yourself with people who are good at the things you're not good at, and yeah. that allows you to, um, 
to sort of fly a little bit. And also, I like to work with people who are better than me at most things. So, you know, then I can respect them. So, you know, I utter, utterly respect the people I work with because they're all better at me than everything they do. And sometimes they're better at me than the stuff I do. And that's how I learn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so on the learning front, you said you just picked up some more sort of personal development um, activity. What sort of things do you do to uh, learn and improve? I'm presuming you've probably got some professional development that's sort of built in. H- how else do you make sure yeah. that you're learning things that are beneficial to you, apart from your Spanish? Well, one of the, one of the things... <laughs> oh, don't, don't even go there. Uh, the trouble I find, you know, is I had some Spanish lessons and the Spanish teachers kept saying to me, no, that's Italian. I said, what do you mean it's Italian? He said, no, you were speaking fluent Italian. But of course, as a musician, we used to talk... We used to have to know a lot yeah. about Italian yeah. words and notation and such, like a tiny bit of German. Um, so what do we do? I, I like formal learning. I like online learning. I'm doing some more qualifications. I'm a bit of a qualifications junkie, actually, I have to be honest. But um, I do get a lot of supervision as part of what I do. So as a, a psychologist and a coach and a counsellor, um, there's nothing better than going through. I'm going through some professional accreditation work at the moment and I have to be supervised at one to six. So every six session I have some supervision. Mm. And I, oh, Joe, I really railed against it at the beginning. But it's <laughs> great now. I thoroughly enjoy it. I mean, why doesn't everyone have a coach or a supervisor? It's brilliant. <laughs> and then, oh, that's right. I remember that's what I do. No wonder I'm slightly biased. <laughs> but interesting, as you say, that also it's not something that sort of came naturally. I think quite often those no. of us are helping other people it's hard for us to ask for help or to allow somebody else to have an opinion on us when we are doing that for other people sort of thing, isn't it? The, the corporate trainer's worst nightmare is training the internal training team because they're all sitting there with their arms crossed, they're looking at you going, go on, then what have you got? And then the second thing is, well, that was really good, but it wasn't the way I would have done it. Yeah. And I think, you know, we're here to learn here, not critique the whole day. And the same thing for counsellors, you know, and, and this is what I find brilliant about the hypnotherapy counseling EFT EMDR community because you just sit down there and this supervision thing and it's a really interesting professional dialogue around practice now part of this of course has been an academic and when you get a doctorate and, and I'm, I'm putting together a master's qualification with one of the big universities at the moment this idea of just the learning for the sake of learning is so important and and that thing about saying you know being challenged by someone who is streets ahead of your field of expertise not necessarily as a practitioner but as a as a someone who really knows their expert you know really knows their audience i remember doing my doctoral viva having 14 15 people standing up all of whom knew acres more than me and being literally not literally but being sort of uh, mentally ripped to shreds and it was one of the most cathartic and motivation motivational experience i've ever had because few people really can challenge you to such an extent that you really have to think and really have to perform. And we do get lazy as coaches and counsellors and therapists because actually most of the time people are challenges to a level that we already know. And that idea of being really pushed is something I'd really encourage people to do. I mean, mm-hmm. failure, I mean, we all learn from success. It's all fantastic. But proper failure, you know, proper failure where people sit down and, and, and sit down with you and say, that was, that was sort of not great. You know, that was not, the acceptable standard you know let's sit down and really figure that out not you're a bad person or you're wrong or you're terrible but let's have that professional adult dialogue dialogue being the word 
um, where you actually explore that and put that right. And that's a, a feature I bring into my own coaching. I, I don't believe in, um, you know, ever not saying the, the right thing or, you know, not saying what has to be said, really. And it's a feature of what we do. And lots of coaches don't say the right thing, don't say what needs to be said. They sort of say what needs to be heard, really, yeah. or what people like to hear, I would say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... Just moving into the last couple of questions. That was a long answer, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. <laughs> it was good. It's Sorry very, about that. No, it's nice and motivational as well. It's sort of, it, it's reminding our listeners um, and me how important it is to get other people <laughs> to see us like properly, rather than you know that whole, um, you know, when you're teaching other people or when you're coaching other people or whatever then they see something don't they they don't when you've got somebody who either knows more than you or isn't there to be helped by you they see a different side of you that we don't often show so it's just a reminder of how important that is i think yeah having that person who it's, it's like you're it's like when you're coaching someone yourself and they look at you and go that was really brilliant i really enjoyed that and i got a lot out of it and i've got my action plan and these are the results from the previous session and this is what i'm going to do the next session this is the impact it's going to have and all that sort of stuff why wouldn't you want that why wouldn't why shouldn't we have that it's it's bizarre to think that we shouldn't have the same experience as everybody else but we do get some t- sometimes sort of caught in our own hubris i do everybody does and you know well, what can that person ever tell me and you know what can, but i found i found being coached and supervised by people that have a very different pool of knowledge to me being the key here so i find sometimes academic people the the most terrifying coaches because they'll say things like what's your evidence what's your proof and you say well i've done three things that says this this, and this and that's not that's not evidential that's just opinion. No, 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 it's my my opinion. Your opinion doesn't count. Yeah. You know, where's your evidence base? And that thing about being truly challenged to a degree of, um, I mean, as an evaluator, I appreciate that, as you can imagine, because I often sit down with corporate, you know, coaches and say, let me evaluate your work and uh, what evidence have you got? And, you know, well, three people said they liked me. It's not evidence. Well, it's evidence of something, but not of anything, anything particularly useful. So... I think looking for coaches who are very different to you is important and, and come from different professions and different, you know, you know um, uh, um, aspects of work. If you're in HR as an HR coach, then I'll get someone who's worked in as a, you know, an accountant or as yeah. a, a legal eagleist. I mean, legal people who have been in the legal world are usually so bright and, um, being coached and supervised by those people can be a, a, an absolute delight if you're more at the sort of soft and fluffy end of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Lovely. So last couple of questions. What about um, those days where it all goes horribly wrong? How do you deal with those? Well, it depends on what you mean by hor- horribly wrong. Um, I mean, there's days where, you know, I mean, when, when do things go horribly wrong? I mean, we're coaches, you know, does it really matter in a funny sort of way? Um, I've had to deal with people who've committed suicide. Um, I've had to deal with people who have really, you know, done terrible things. And, you know, sort of the psychiatric side of what I do can be there. Um, but you have to be, you have to, have, you have to look after yourself. Because most of the time when you're dealing with other people, the adult side of what we do is we're empowering people to live their best lives. If their best life is not the life that you would want for yourself, 
you have to keep that separation. You have to learn very early on that this boundary that we have to have between us and all the people that we work with is really impossible is really you know, really important now the other side of it is there are days when you get hacked off and there are days where you think oh i can't be bothered i'm just going to whiz down to marks and spencers and get myself some of those low lovely rocky road and you know the next day i'll come back and i'll get a grip you have to allow yourself sometimes if you're in a horrible state and a horrible place, just to give in and give up to it. You know, sometimes um, there's nothing nicer than getting under the referee rug, snuggling down in front of some trashy television for half an hour and, you know, and indulging yourself. Mm-hmm. But you also have to get a grip and say, well, actually, I'm not much used to anybody at the moment. And there's always the next client coming along. And actually, if I don't learn from this experience for myself, I'm not doing my next client much good. And I think that's important as well. Now, I'm no saint, don't get me wrong, but I think I've got some of that quite well worked out. And my wife gets quite cross with me about my ability just to sometimes get on with things. Yeah. That doesn't mean I'm necessarily that, more, <laughs> that productive that day, but I'll go off and do something. I, I'm, I'm a shopaholic. Give me off a chance to go shopping. And um, <laughs> that I'm off. That's my guilty pleasure. So I'll be, if um, my wife will often bring me that and saying, which shops are you roaming through at the moment? And it's, it'll be John Lewis somewhere in Southampton. Or, we're about to move soon. So I've got a whole new area of yeah. shopping to get into. Can you believe it? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> so you, um, you've set yourself up for this last question quite well already, because I, I ask everybody, what about those days where you get to live more? And that's where you get to do more of the things that you want to do and less of the stuff that you don't want to do. And you've sort of answered that through the day in, the, in that you do a lot of what you want to do. Yeah. <laughs> so what does that perfect day look like for you? Well, now, there are many different types of perfect day, but do you know what? There's nothing... Are you talking... Well, I'm not going to talk about work because my perfect day would, would actually... I, it would not be a work day. <laughs> Lovely. Yeah, I'll be, I'll be at a museum... I'd have a fantastic, go to some, hear some fantastic music, it would be live music. I'd be meeting some people that I thoroughly enjoy talking to. I'd be having a, you know, a really groovy sort of debate, uh, intellectual conversation about something where I'd be losing left, right, centre. Uh, we'd have some fine food and we'd just, I'd have, I'd, I'd be in that moment thoroughly enjoying myself. Now, whether that's online or face-to-face doesn't really matter but that's a great day if you want a great working day you know sometimes those great working days are the most challenging working days because they're the days where you really can learn something about yourself as well i mean it's all just lovely to have your clients jumping up and down saying whoa you're the greatest but sometimes it's quite fascinating to have your clients coming back and going no that hasn't worked no i'm not happy no this isn't working no this is not right yet how do we do something about this? And that's that lovely sort of, and a great day can be that day where you actually sit there and you ponder and you research and you reach out to your friends and your network and you, and you synthesize and create something new. And then you go back with it and just see how this next iteration will fly. Mm-hmm. You've painted some great days there. So thank you. <laughs> so how can people find out more about you and, and uh, get in contact with you? Oh, great. Thank you. Well, um, well, the website is qedod.com. We've got a new therapy website called upeka.life, which is um, Buddhism for uh, equanimity. Um, we'll have a, um, LinkedIn is absolutely fine. Um, my name's Russell Thackeray, as you've said, so you know how to get hold of me there. And we do have a podcast ourselves called Resilience Unraveled, where we unpick and talk a lot about the subjects of resilience and burnout. And um, they're the best places to get hold of me professionally, I think. Lovely. Thank you, Russell. It's been really interesting talking to you today. Thanks for your time.
Pleasure, Joe. It's been fun. All this information is available in the show notes. If you go to powertolivemore.com forward slash, in this case, 180, then you'll find them there. And this week, I just want to talk briefly about keeping motivated. It's what we were talking about at the Canterpoint Networking on Monday. We didn't have lots of time to talk about that as we, as usual, went off on various other tangents. But some of the strategies that people uh, shared were things like uh, when things get tough, sort of walking away, doing something uh, that is self-care for you. And we talked quite a bit about how important self-care is, particularly in these times, and how that really differs for different people. I've talked before about the fact that I sing uh, when I'm down or fed up or stressed. Um, uh, And as much as anything else, it's because you can't do anything else while you're singing. You've got to read the music and be in tune and all that sort of thing. And so you can't really think of anything else. And that's why some people meditate and other people um, do other things like um, reading. We talked about, you know, when you're reading a book, you're clearly not thinking about anything else. You're thinking about the book. And there was one other thing that I can't remember that we were talking about, which was a similar thing that if you sort of absorb yourself in something else, then your worries can't sort of get in the way. Because quite often what the issues are in that situation is that we're overthinking things. You know, we're catastrophizing and thinking of all the things that could go wrong and actually just stopping ourselves doing that can be really helpful um, some people talked about uh, the idea of exercise and um, sort of the energy that you can get from that and somebody else said that she goes walking in the woods uh, near her home actually I'm thinking that might have been my power to live more calm meeting rather than counterweight networking this week but that's you know another thing that um, people do and there's a there's a word for that it's called forest bathing if you um, spend lots of time in forests and you know it's really good for you and for your mental health as well so that's what we're talking about at counterweight networking this week and next week we're talking about masterminding which is sort of what we do a little bit uh, at those meetings and also in my membership which is power to live more calm we uh, th- currently this week we had a meeting to talk about what we're going to focus on in the next four weeks we've each got a big project that we want to achieve and so we're currently breaking that down into really small daily actions and then we're going to keep each other accountable using a uh, tool that we have within slack that we use in our community uh, to report in each day about how much um, or what you know the whether we've achieved what we said we are going to achieve for that day and we're literally only doing 20 minutes a day but we're going to consistently take those actions over the next four weeks so that's um, something that is happening in uh, Power to Live More Calm if you're interested in finding out more getting involved then you can go to powertolivemore.com forward slash get calm and the other thing to remind you about is that in October I'm doing 30 days of inspiration uh, to live your best life now. I thought it was a good time given everything that's happening and the fact that we sort of, a lot of us have put stuff on hold thinking that we'll get back to it when things go back to normal. And of course, <laughs> that's not really happening. So uh, I decided to run the 30 Days of Inspiration this month. And you can go to powertolivemore.com forward slash living your best life now and that'll get you onto the mailing list and then you'll get the daily emails which take you to my blog with an article about ideas tips and strategies for living your best life now and it gives you a link to all of the other posts that have been shared in October as well so you won't miss out on the ones that have happened up to now so again that's powertolivemore.com forward slash living your best life now Again, the show notes for this week's show are at powertolivemore.com forward slash 180. And we look forward to speaking to you next week.
Use your power to live more.